Jesus gave the human race a second probation. Adam and Eve, had it not been for the plan of salvation, for, for Jesus stepping in front of, between Adam and Eve and the Father and saying, Father, let the penalty fall on me. Give them another chance. I'll die for them. And so we are alive today having a second probation. The human race died in the Garden of Eden. Had not been for Christ, it would, that would have been the end. But now we have a second chance. And the death that the human beings die now is not because they're sinners. It's because Adam sinned. And because of the life of Christ, everyone's going to have a resurrection. And then, whether we live or die will depend on our sin or whether we accept Christ's righteousness. Do you understand this? The life, we don't, if we're, now there's some people that are going to go through alive and, and we have the privilege of living in that day. But because people sinned was not because they were sinners, it was because Adam sinned. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so when we come from the grave, and everyone's going to come from the grave, when we come from the grave, then we have paid the penalty for Adam's sin, then we have to do what? We have to stand before God for our lives. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned and they were given another chance, they had to have some changes in their life in order for them to know how to make the right choice. And you know, this was quite an eye-opener to me. I'd read this many times, but I never understood it. On page 25, it says, uh, it's the third paragraph, Man lost all because he chose to listen to the deceiver rather than to him who is the truth, who alone is understanding. By the mingling of evil with good, his mind had become confused, his mental and spiritual powers benumbed. No longer could he appreciate the good that God had so, e so freely bestowed. Adam and Eve had chosen the knowledge of evil, and if they ever regained the position they had lost, they must regain it under the unfavorable conditions they had brought upon themselves. No longer were they to dwell in Eden, for in its perfection it could not teach them the lessons which it was now essential for them to learn. In unutterable sadness, they bade farewell to their beautiful surroundings and went forth to dwell upon the earth where rested the curse of sin. Now, the point that we want to get there, and this is very simple and very plain, we could never develop under perfect circumstances and get victory over sin. First of all, we couldn't see ourselves under those circumstances. If the Lord would suddenly transport us to heaven, everybody would be heavenly to us, even if we are terrible beings. Nobody would ever say anything bad. No one would ever do anything that would make it hard for us. Now, we'd make it hard for them. But we would never learn the lessons that we need to learn. So, the Lord 
put man in the condition which he brought upon himself in order that he might get be cured of sin. And what Brother Wilson was just saying is, is very interesting. We always see in other people what annoys us. Because what? It annoys us, yeah. In them because uh, there's something in us that reacts. You see, I don't like to grab a thistle, you know why? Well, it sticks me. It hurts. And you see, the, uh, when we come in contact with each other, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a collision. There's something that comes up that, uh, that, that annoys us. And this is a, a real problem in our lives now. I want to start with our first statement from Mount of Blessing. We've read this very many times. I'll give you the page according to the index. It's paid differently from mine. On page 76, I wish we'd all memorize this. Mount of Blessing, 76. God has made provision that we may become like unto him. He's what? Well, what, what, does, what, what are the provisions God has made? <coughs> Will you, some of you tell me what provisions you think God has made that we may become like him? All right, he's made a plan. Is the plan perfect to save us? Well, well why isn't everybody saved then? Huh? Well, first of all, a lot of people don't know the plan. Secondly, those who know the plan don't want to, don't want to get involved in it. And, well, anyway, this tells why. It says, in, uh, God has made provision that we may become like unto him, and he will accomplish this for all who do not interpose a perverse will and thus frustrate his grace. God has made every provision to save me. Now, what's involved in that? A plan, a circumstance, continuous surrounding me that is the most conducive to a change in my life. Well, you mean, do you think that God actually goes to all the trouble to surround me with those circumstances? What do you think? All right, let me read you another statement. This is in, from volume 8. We've also read this before. But you know, we, uh, we don't any of us remember very well. I don't remember well, and I know you don't either, so we can read these many times. Obstacles to the advancement of the work of God will appear, but fear not. To the omnipotence of the King of Kings, our covenant-keeping God unites the gentleness and care of a tender shepherd. Nothing can stand in his way. 
His power is absolute, and it is the pledge of the sure fulfillment of His promises to His people. He can remove all obstructions to the advancement of His work. He has means for the removal of every difficulty that those who serve and respect the means serve him and respect the means he employs may be delivered. His goodness and love are infinite and his covenant is unalterable. The plans of, his, of the enemies of his work may seem to be firm and well established, but he can overthrow the strongest of these plans. And in his own time and way he will do this when he sees that our faith has been sufficiently tested and that we are drawing near to him and making him our counselor. Now, you see, there are certain basic things that we have to recognize. God is in control of circumstances. Don't ever forget it. Now, I'll read another statement to go right with that. Well, that was page uh, 10 of volume 8. I didn't give you the reference today. All right. I'll read another one. This one is from Mount of Blessing. I mean, from, from Ministry of Healing. I'm sure you're, you're acquainted with these, but we want to put them together because it's real important that we understand these things because it's... Remember, he's made provision that we should what? Become like him. And now, what are we dealing about? What are we dealing with today? What, is our, what are we talking about? The experiences of life. All right, now, first of all, we're going to find out what God's side of this is, and this is what we're talking about. He didn't leave Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden because there they would never have what? Developed. They would never have developed. When we come to the flood going farther on, what did the Lord do to the earth? He completely ruined the earth. That's right. He just completely ruined the earth. Why? because it was too good for man and wickedness was so great and you could go out and grow things. There was no rain. Uh, everything was perfect. Why? They could just make a living with very little effort. So what did he do? He made the earth, put the earth in such a condition that it was just, that it's hard to make a living today. He wants it to take more time to make a living so we won't have any wasted time. He wants us to have time to do the things we need to do. But uh, when we... Uh, when we come to, when we have too much time, it isn't good for us. All right, now, uh, here's, here's a statement that I want you to notice carefully. This is 488 and 489 of Ministry of Healing. The Father's presence encircled Christ. What did? And nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. Here was his source of comfort. What was his source of comfort? That the Father's presence encircled him and nothing could touch him without his Father's permission. Now when we realize, that we, we've already discussed this a little bit, when we realize that Christ had to develop a character for every person in this world, then we recognize that he had to be in every circumstance that any person in this world will ever be in. He was tempting all points like as we are. Well, who does the we represent? Everybody. There's no circumstance that we can ever be in 
that Jesus hasn't already gone through the circumstances. Now, his temptations were different. His temptations were different from ours. They were harder than ours, much harder. You see, when he went through the temptation in the wilderness, what was his temptation? What was the first temptation? Appetite. Yes, it was on appetite, but what, what, did, the, what did Satan say to him? If you're the Son of God, you do what? Command these stones to be made bread. Yes. All right, he wanted him to use his divine power. Is that a temptation to us? No, we don't have any divine power. But are the the principles there, aren't they? What is our temptation? All right, to use our own power, that's right. And I think that's why Christ was so much. We don't have that power, you know, so his temptation is to be added. His temptation was to use... Did Jesus have that power? Yes, he did. All right, his temptation was to use it. Yes. And why didn't he use it? Because, because we can't. What is our temptation? What's that? To use our power, all we have. And if we do that, what will happen? Who did he commit himself to? His to his father, yes. Now, yes. Well, what would it be? Who is in control of us? Yes. So when we endeavor to use our power, whose power are we actually using? Why, Satan's power, sure. And isn't this where we all fail most of the time, trying to do it ourselves, instead of letting the Lord do it, submitting to Him? Yes. What's that? But whose power is it? What? It's his power. Now, I didn't hear that. No. It's his power in us. He uses us. He uses our talents. He uses everything we have. What did Jesus say? Of my own self, what? I can do nothing. Now, it wasn't because he didn't have power to do it. Did he have power to do anything he wanted to do? You see... Uh, let me give you a little illustration, uh, just a minute. You know, uh, the thing that really intrigues me, when Jesus was here, now I can't explain this, and I'm not going to try to explain it, but if you study the nature of Christ, we realize that when Jesus was on this earth, he was God. He was not, he didn't leave, he didn't leave his divinity in heaven. He was God when he was here. But he only used whose power? His Father's power. And at the same time, he was upholding all things as God. Now, if you study the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy both, you'll find that while he was here, he was still God. And here was a, here was a man that got up and came up to him and so, so absolutely uh, insulted him that he spit in his face. At the same time, he was giving him power to do that. Does that take self-control? Would you like? I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want anybody to spit in my face if I could control their life with just a thought. Now you were going to ask something back there. Now you're going to have to talk a little louder. I can't hear you.
Well, I'm, uh, I'm saying that he was God while he was here. I wasn't dealing with his human nature. He was a human being. And he did not sin, but he had human nature. And human nature he was sin. a human being because Mary was his mother. He was God because God was his father. Now, I, I don't want to get involved in it. We can get really involved in this, but this is something that you can't explain. You can understand by experience. And we need to study the nature of Christ. There's no question about it. Because you and I are going to have the nature of Christ. We're going to have the nature of God. And we're going to have it by what? Well, we're going to have it by faith, but it's actually a birth, a transaction. It's the same kind of a birth that Jesus had. Now, let me say this in order that we may understand our relation to him. Jesus did not become exactly as we are. He became what we can be. When I am born again, I have the same birth that Jesus had when he was born the first time. Well, uh, you see, uh, uh, he, uh, let's put it this way. He did not become, become exactly as we are. This is, we can make a play on words here. He, he took our nature, but he did not sin in our nature. Now, what, uh, he took, he took human, uh, Nature after 4,000 years of degeneracy. And uh, whether you want to call it sinful nature or not, at least he didn't sin in that nature. You understand what I mean? Well, Mary, his mother, was a sinner, wasn't she? Yes. And he was the son of Mary. But he was also the son of God. And he had tendencies, he had temptations, but he did not sin even by a thought. Now, I, I can't explain that. All right, what is now back there? Well, uh, no, I can't agree with that because Jesus came and took the results of 4,000 years of sinful tendencies. He was not like Adam. He was different from Adam. Adam, well, he was the second Adam because he came to, to take the place of Adam. And to give us another chance, it's through him we have a second chance. But he did not have Adam's nature. Adam had no evil tendencies in him. Jesus did because he took human nature. But I don't want to get involved in this. This is something we need to study because uh, you, uh, the nature of Christ is real important. But uh, we're, we're back to the... I want to stay with the experience of life, yes. All right, what if, you want to say something? Go ahead. I don't know. I can't explain that. I, I, this is a mystery. It says it's the mystery of God. Do you know there's a statement that says that the nature of Christ is something we have to be exceedingly careful regarding our discussion of it. And also it says that the plan of salvation cannot be explained. Have you read that? But it can be experienced. We must, we must study the nature of Christ in order to study his relation to us. But it's very easy to get into splitting words, you know. And uh, I don't want to get involved because uh, there are just a lot of things you can't explain. It is a mystery. It will always remain a mystery. All I know is that he took my place 
He became a human being in order that I may become a member of his family. I can become, as he was a partaker of human nature, so I can become a partaker of the divine nature. But now back to the experiences of life. I don't, I don't want to get away from this. We were discussing the fact that God controls what? The circumstances. Now, when we don't realize that, then we are always blaming people and things for our problems. When we come to the basic understanding that God is in control of circumstances, it changes our whole attitude toward life, believe it or not. Do you agree with that? Now, notice what this says. It says, Jesus recognized the fact that his father's, what? His father's presence encircled him. And nothing could touch him except that that came through what? His father for his good. It had to come through his father. His father had to permit it. Now, I want you to notice what it says. Nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. Here was his source of comfort, and it is for us. He who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. Whatever comes to him comes from the Savior who surrounds him with his presence. Now, of course, this is talking about Christians. You say, what about the person that isn't a Christian? Well, they don't have the same protection that a Christian has. But still, God is not going to permit anything to come to us that is not for what? For our good. He carefully measures these things. Uh, and Well, would it make a difference? And remember this. Don't ever forget this. When we come to the final judgment. Now, how many have read the description in Great Controversy where... There's a great multitude of the lost outside and they're out around the city and then there's a throne that raises up above the city and on this throne is God and Jesus and all the redeemed. This throne of God is big enough for all the redeemed from this earth. And it raises up above the city and then it says when Jesus opens the book of record, Every person outside the city is suddenly conscious of every sin he's ever committed. This is going to be incredible. There are a few of them that give me trouble. I don't want to see all of them all the time. Now, you see, when they do that, now notice what it says. It says they will see just where their feet turn from the path of holiness and knowing all about their life, they're going to have to admit that God made every provision for saving them and because they are lost, it's their own fault. And so they're not going to look at somebody else and say, now look, if you hadn't done what you did, I wouldn't be lost. Now when we read the Bible in the spirit of prophecy, let's recognize that there is a double accountability for every soul. There is their own accountability and there's our accountability in our relation to them. And I have a responsibility to everybody I come in contact to give them the right influence and to say the right word. That's my responsibility. And I may be lost over that influence, you understand? But nothing that I can do takes away from them their own responsibility for doing what's right. You understand what I'm saying?
So you will see things that are written that I have my responsibility, and it says that if I had done certain things, that person might have been different. But on the other hand, what did they have to do? They had to make a choice also. You understand? So uh, uh, they, I don't have the final responsibility if they're being lost. I have for, the responsibility for my relation to them, but they have their responsibility for their relation to God. You understand that? And every person, every person that's ever lived in this world has received enough light for salvation. Because it said, Jesus lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And if we would realize that in our dealing with people, it's not as much the responsibility to, for saving them as it is that we have the privilege of demonstrating to them the character of Christ and helping them in their way to heaven. All right, now, now back to what we were talking about. We were talking about our responsibility. Now, if, if every human being bows down and admits before Jesus that they had an opportunity for salvation, but they didn't accept it, then he has surrounded them with circumstances to enable them to be saved. Do you understand? God has made himself responsible for the circumstances. We have to make ourselves responsible to how we relate to the circumstances for salvation. Now, is that plain? And if we do not... If we do not interpose a what? A perverse will. The arrangements have been made for our salvation. Aren't you glad of that? He has surrounded me by the circumstances and I've gotten into circumstances that I thought were wonderful and they turned out to be real bad. I thought. But I finally woke up to the fact that they were what I needed. Have you ever had those, those experiences? And if we really believe that, now I want to read this statement, and I want to read another. I want to read a verse in the Bible that you're all familiar with. It says, Whatever comes to him, now that's to me, comes from the Savior who surrounds him with his presence. Nothing can touch him except by our Lord's permission. All our sufferings and sorrows, all our trials and temptations, all our sadness and griefs, In short, all things work together for our good. Now listen, all circumstances and ex all experiences and circumstances are God's workmen. All that, whereby good is brought to us. And so, any time I complain about people, things, situations, what am I saying? Well, God, you don't know your business. And uh, you see, if the Lord can't save me, He's going to use me to save somebody else. Either I'm going to be polished by the sand or I'm going to be sand polishing the jewels. <laughs> That's right. You see, there's, there's much more involved in this than we have any, any, any understanding. Now then, uh, in the book, uh, Ministry of Healing, page 500, I want to read something there. This, uh, this is going on with this situation. 500, Ministry of Healing. 
Many become inefficient by evading responsibility for fear of failure. Were you ever afraid to do something for fear you'd fail? Thus they fail of gaining the edu that education which results from experience. From what? Now what are we studying about? Life's experience is our dealing with the circumstances of life. How do I relate? Thus they fail of gaining that education which results from experience and which reading and studying and all the advantages otherwise gained cannot give them. Man can shape circumstances, but circumstances should not be allowed to shape the man. We should seize upon circumstances as instruments by which to work. We are to master them. We are to what? But not permit them to master us. Men of power are those who have been opposed and baffled and thwarted. Men of what? Now, of course, this is talking about women, too. This is talking about human beings. Are those who have been what? Opposed and baffled and thwarted. Is the devil going to keep us, try to keep us from doing the things that we're supposed to do? Are people going to try to keep us from doing it? But God is going to give us the strength and He's going to permit us to do it. So we're continually battling circumstances. And why are we in the circumstances? This is the only environment that will get us ready for heaven. This is the only environment, folks, in which people can develop a character that will enable them to share the throne of God. This is ideal circumstances. You say, well, what's ideal about it? Well, look at all the things we can do for people. You see, really, when we get to heaven, all we can ever do is be good. You can't really do anything for anybody up there very much, can you? Supposing you wanted to, supposing you wanted to go and help somebody who was hungry, where would you find them? Well, supposing you decide, well, I think I'll go and uh, visit the jail today. Where would you go? Well, supposing you wonder, uh, here's a nurse that's trained, they like to rub somebody's back. Well, I don't know, maybe in heaven if somebody lets you rub their back, I don't know whether or not, but they don't need it. If you wanted to help somebody that's sick, where would you go? Well, what would you do for anybody that they need doing up there? Why, nothing. Everybody has everything they need. The Lord's taking care of all their needs. They're not hungry. They're not thirsty. They're not cold. They're not tired. They're not sick. They've already learned not to break any laws. They've all learned how to get along with people so nobody has their feelings hurt. You can't go and help anybody with their feelings hurt. There's nobody there with their feelings hurt. That would be wonderful. Oh, yes. But you understand what I'm talking about? We have a world full of people now that we can do something for. And, uh, and we can develop a character that will make us like Jesus. If he takes us to heaven, who, what would we do? There's nobody needs any help. We couldn't develop that character. You see, I think I've told you this before. I, I grew up an Adventist. My father was a minister, and, and I used to hear him preach, and he'd scare me to death, you know. And, and you know, uh, I wasn't really converted. I didn't, I didn't 
I didn't know what it was. And he'd tell about Jesus coming, you know, and I, I'd say, my, when, when I see Jesus coming, I'm going to really start praying, you know. Of course, I didn't know then that it was too late to pray. If you haven't prayed before that, you're wasting your time. And I used to say, this is what I used to think. Why in the world wasn't I born in one of these other worlds where there wasn't any sin? Did you ever think that? Well, that would have been all right. But did you know the greatest honor that could ever come to any being in this universe is to be born into this world? Did you know that? Because it's the perfect environment and we have the perfect situation to enable us by the indwelling of Christ to develop a character that will make us member of, members of God's family. Nobody else can do that. Only human beings have that privilege. Because Jesus became a human being. And because He became a human being, He made it possible for us to become a member of His family. And we have the perfect environment to develop that character. And so these are what we're dealing with in what? The circumstances of life. The experiences of life. We're in the environment to develop a character that will enable us to share the throne and glory of God for all eternity. Well, why shouldn't it be? Who's controlling it? Who's controlling it? Why, God is controlling it. He has put me in the, in the situation, in the environment, that if I make, take advantage of it, I will reach the absolutely highest attainment that it's possible for me to reach. He has put me continually in that circumstance. All right. With this seal, what I've learned today, that's how it fits in. I used to wonder, how can you give thanks in all things? <laughs> but now when you see that God has ordered all things, you can thank Him for all things because you know this is your best good. Well, a lot of times you feel like you have made the wrong choice. Like we get in God's way so much. Well, um, what happens then? <laughs> I mean, we, we do get in His way. Well, yes, and uh, I've told you my, my own personal experience, and, and I, uh, after all, it's, it's my experience that I understand. And uh, you see, I, I wasn't converted until I was 25 years old. And uh, I had come to the place where I was through with religion. I was ready to give it all up. I was going to the world. Uh, I'd been an Adventist all my life, and at that time I was a deacon in the church, but I was thoroughly disillusioned with religion. I didn't want any part of it. I hated it. And I was walking along one day and God spoke to me. This is plain. Now, it wasn't an audible voice. I can't explain it to you, but he, he put this thought into my mind. Maybe I've told you this. Now, I don't want to make this long, but I'll just tell you what happened to show you how God works. And uh, he asked me a question. And the question was this. Have you ever been a Christian? And I thought, well, isn't that something? And so I spent quite a while in my mind, you understand, telling him all the things that I'd done to prove I'd been a I was a Christian. Why well, we went in gathering at that time we were going in gathering, it was during depression, and we were going four nights a week for three months singing band. If you think that isn't something. <laughs> and I was a deacon in the church and I was teaching a class in church school and I was out doing missionary work. I was doing everything you're supposed to do. But I hated it. <laughs> and after I got through all my telling the Lord all the things I was doing, 
And it quieted down. He said again, have you ever been a Christian? And I, well, I thought, isn't that something? And then I began to tell him some more of the things that I'd been, some things I'd been doing. And then finally that was down. And the third time it came, have you ever been a Christian? I said, well, maybe I'm, maybe I haven't. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I don't know what it, what it is to be a Christian. Maybe that's what's wrong with me. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I thought, oh, well, I'm just like everybody else. But I, uh, I didn't know if they were as miserable as I was or not. And so I, uh, and then it came again. Well, before you give it up, why don't you try being a Christian? I said, all right, I will. What do I do? And the Lord just immediately put into my mind what I should do. The next Sabbath, I was only going to have to get up in church and confess to the church I'd never been a Christian. And I was a deacon in the church. And so I said, all right, if that's what I have to do, that's all right. I'll do anything. I'm, mi- I'm a miserable enough to do anything to get, I'll get over it. <laughs> and so I was sitting on the front seat. The deacon was one side on one side and one on the other. And my father was a minister and the thing was that he, uh, I knew it was going to be easy because he was an old-fashioned minister. He always had testimony meeting. So he got up and preached his sermon and announced to him and sat down. <laughs> but I was so built up inside, I just couldn't... Uh, I had to have something to say, so I just got up and said, now, wait a minute, I have something to say. And, of course, this is pretty unusual in a church, you know, when you haven't asked for a testimony meeting. And so I just got up and faced the congregation. I told them, I said, folks, I've never been a Christian. I don't even remember what I said. But I know this, that when I began to make my confession, something happened in that church. And I could see the people swaying in their seats. Spirit of God came in in a, a very most powerful way I think I've ever seen. And then after I'd made my t- gave my testimony, people began to give their testimonies. Well, I was rebaptized. I didn't know. I'd never read any statement about it. I was rebaptized, and and the Lord changed my heart. He gave me a wonderful experience. And for six months, I lived. There wasn't a cloud between me and the Lord. I had. Uh, everything was right. I did everything I knew he wanted me to do, and I had a perfect experience. And then you know what happened? I began to lose that experience, and I didn't know how to get it back. I didn't know how I got it. It was spontaneous, instantaneous, a tremendous experience. Well, anyway, I, I'm, I'm out here to tell you my life story, but anyway... Uh, it's our experiences we learn from. And I went, then I went 25 years like this, up and down and up and down and up and down, never really having the experience I wanted, and yet I knew there was something ahead until I finally came to the, to the same experience again. And I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done, and I lost my relation to the Lord. It was terrible. Well, anyway... Uh, I came to the next experience and first experience came when I was 20. The second one came when I was 50 and I, I decided, well, if I don't make any more progress the next 25 years or rest of my life, if I live to be 100, I won't make it. And so I set my heart to uh, seeking the Lord. Well, I won't tell you this experience. Sometime I will, but I don't have time today. But anyway, the Lord brought me another experience. But this time it was not a spontaneous conversion. I had to learn to find how to know God step by step. There's a science to salvation. 
I had to learn every step of it as I went. This is why it's important that we understand the steps of conversion, the steps of salvation. Because when we make a mistake, why then we can go back and correct it. This is why the book Steps to Christ was written. We don't read it enough. I mean, it has all the steps. And every time you read it, you get something new. Have you found that? Well, anyway, the, the climax of my experience, and I think I've told you this, but that's all right. I don't mind telling you again. came uh, at, uh, just a few years ago when I, I was up in Michigan. You know, I spent 16 years up at Oak Haven. And I was having uh, a reasonably good experience. But I was always in my mind, I had, a, I had this feeling, well, now, you know, and, and well, I didn't tell you the rest of the experience that I had when I was first converted. The Lord really spoke to me when I had that experience, and He said, now, I have, given, I have a special work for you to do. If you're faithful, I'll give you a part in the finishing of God's work. And uh, I'll give you the opportunity of speaking before thousands of people. Well, I, that was fantastic, you know. I just couldn't believe a thing like that, but, but I believed the Lord's promise. But after I had gone through this experience and I just got to the place where I, where I really was having... Uh, I'd, go, I'd done a lot of things I shouldn't do, and, and uh, so I was saying, well, now, you know, the Lord had a wonderful work for me to do, but look at what I've done. I've just flubbed it all up because I did so many things that I shouldn't do. And I was under a real cloud, uh, thinking, well, now, look what the Lord wanted to do through me, and now He couldn't do it because of all the things I had done. And I was reading the Desire of Ages, and I was reading this statement. It's on page 800 and uh, 26. The gospel is to be presented not as a lifeless theory, but as a living force to change the life. God desires the receivers of His grace shall be witnesses of His power. This is our experiences of life. This is the experience of life. We're to tell people what? What God has done for us, see? It, it isn't a matter of giving doctrines. This is all right. There are times to give doctrines. But if we would tell people what God has done for us, then something would happen. Well, anyway, it says, God desires that the receivers of His grace shall be witnesses to His power. Those whose course has been most offensive to Him. It's been what? Well, when I read that, I said, well, that sure is me. My course I knew had been most offensive to Him. After He'd given me this wonderful experience, then I'd lost my experience, I'd done things I shouldn't and, and uh, I just messed up my life. It says, those whose course has been most offensive to him, he freely accepts. See what? Freely. He imparts to them his divine spirit and places them in positions of highest trust and sends them forth into the camp of the disloyal to proclaim his boundless mercy. Well, I read that and I said, well, isn't that something? Then the Lord really spoke to my mind again. He said, now look, don't you think back there when I called you that I knew you were going to go through this experience? This is just a part of your training. Now get up and do the thing I've given you to do. <laughs> and so we have all had some horrible experiences, haven't we? This is a part of his training. Doesn't he know that? All right, now let's do the job he's given us to do. We're still in training. And these are the experiences of life. The Lord has made me sympathetic for, to a lot of people that I would never have been sympathetic had I been through certain experiences. And sometimes the Lord has to put us through some real hard things to keep us from being hard. 
He has to let. He doesn't want us to. Remember, it's those that have been forgiven the most that are what? That love him the most. Now, it doesn't say those... I, you know what I used to think that said? Those who had sinned the most. It doesn't say that. It isn't the one that sinned the most that he's going to love him most. It's the one that's what? Forgiven the most. Because we don't love him until we're forgiven. It's, a forg- it's because we get forgiveness we love him, yes. You know, I <laughs> I picked up a book in the library one time on Alcoholics Anonymous. And there are 12 principles in that. And uh, I've never been an alcoholic, I, I, but I was interested. I'd, I've seen, I'd worked with uh, some people out who are in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was very interested in this book. And the first principle of Alcoholics Anonymous is this. Have you come to the place where you realize that your life is unmanageable? Then we can do something for you. Then you can get some help. What's the first stage? And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? That's that's the way of what a sinner has to do before the Lord can do anything for them. We have to realize we've come to the place that what? Our lives are unmanageable. Yeah. Yeah, I'll read it to you. Desire of Ages, page 300. And this is the statement. These all, all these statements are wonderful to me because they're, they are, they're a part of my experience. 300, Desire of Ages. The proud heart strives to earn salvation. To do what? But both our title to heaven and our fitness for it are found in the righteousness of Christ. The Lord can do nothing for the recovery of man until, convinced of his own weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency, he yields himself to the control of God. The Lord can do nothing until what? Until I realize I'm totally helpless. I'm unmanageable. And folks, if we don't realize that, we just don't know we're sinners, that's all. Yes. What is the righteousness of Christ? It's the laying of the glory of man in the dust and doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Now notice what this says. The Lord can do nothing for the recovery of man until convinced of his own weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency, he yields himself to the control of God. Then he can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow. From the soul that feels its need, nothing is withheld. What? He has unrestricted access to him in whom all the fullness dwells. Yes. All right. Uh, our time is gone. Next time, I want to study one of Jesus' parables with you in relation to 
education. We're going to study in our next lesson, the, in our next class, the, the wise and the foolish virgins. Remember that those who have true principles of education are going to do what? They're going to, what are they going to have restored in them? The image of God. And Satan doesn't want us to have that, so he has a counterfeit, and that's false education. And the most pitiful people in all of the Bible that I know of are the foolish virgins. Saddest people. And you and I could really very well be foolish virgins if we don't have an understanding of what's going on. Okay. Who would like to we'd like to have our closing yes. Four eighty nine, Ministry of Healing. It's the last of that paragraph. Where nothing can touch us without what? Without God's permission. Folks, let's settle a few things. Let's settle the fact that God is in control. When we understand that, it solves a lot of things in life. The second thing, that He wants to guide us and lead us so we will know that we're absolutely under His control. Then when we know those two things, everything's out of our hands. Except what? submitting to Him and letting Him take. We can't even give it to Him, our perverse wills, in dealing in those situations. And He will perform... He has made provision that we may be what? Like Him. Like Him. Like him. Well, He'll make us like Him if we will just get our hands off ourselves and everybody else. Okay, who'd like to pray? This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.